0: Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be looking at Corinthians. We've been in Corinthians now for weeks, dealing with Corinthians 1 through 15. And uh, last week, we finished up with 15 in our third broadcast, or our third hour of the day. And uh, we were into the side notes. If you go to preparingyou.com, Uh, you can see a great deal of information that might be preparing you for your quest for the kingdom. You're searching the kingdom. That's right. Uh, All of you should be seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, which is not the unrighteousness of the world. There are benefits to the righteousness of God, which we will get into in 2 Corinthians a little bit more. Uh, because in 2 Corinthians, they start talking about the benefits of the kingdom of God. Now, when I say benefits, it's because they happen to translate a particular word in the Greek, benefits, <laughs> instead of grace. And uh, that's what grace really means, is benefits. But we'll get more into that in 2 Corinthians and understanding what the benefits are, and what the second benefits are. Because there are second benefits, evidently, that Paul talks about right away in 2 Corinthians. But like I said, we're still in 1 Corinthians, and we're still in uh, chapter 15. And of course, like I said many times, the chapters are divisions that are put in there by men, supposedly to help you, and they can help you, but they can also dissect the message of Paul, so that it becomes unrecognizable. And of course, they use other sophistry in order to create that unrecognizable gospel of Paul. That is, evidently, according to some people who claim to be teachers of the Bible, prophets of the Bible... Because that's what prophets mean. We've gone over that, showing you the prophets. doesn't always mean talking about the future. Prophets can be helping you interpret the Bible. By teaching you what the Bible is really saying. By talking about what the Bible is really saying so that you can get a better grasp. There's lots of people who talk about the Bible so that you get a poorer grasp of it, and they get a better grasp of you. (laughs) They get more control over you. But Paul talks about, we don't come to have dominion over you. He talks about this again in 2 Corinthians, which we will address. Uh, And the reason I'm bringing these things up because they're fresh in my mind because I've been up since very early in the morning going over 2 Corinthians. I went over uh, Corinthians 16, which is what we're going to be talking about a great deal today. But finishing up uh, 1 Corinthians 15, which I divided uh, by little headings, each paragraph. The paragraphs are also inserted by men. But in order, I only put them there to help you navigate... Through these supposed chapters, which are all part of a single letter, which is a part of a single message of Paul, which is no different than the message of God from the beginning. Was it not told to you from the beginning, as we see with John the Baptist and Isaiah and other prophets of God who are telling you and explaining how God's kingdom works? There was the kingdom of Nimrod, there was the kingdom of Pharaoh, there was the kingdom of Caesar, there was a ki- a lots of different kingdoms, but the kingdom of God operates differently. The kingdom of heaven that we see referenced in Matthew only it is the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. It's just slightly different appearance in translation. And we can go, if you go to Preparing You and look up kingdom of heaven, You'll see a chart there that shows every place the kingdom of heaven is mentioned and every place the kingdom of God is mentioned. And you can make a comparison. And you can very clearly see in the different Gospels, they're talking about the same place. It's not two different places. You don't go to the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven is within you. (laughs) It's the, the light of heaven, the light of God, the full spectrum of creation... That's very important. I just got into the quantum level of the gospel. (laughs) The full spectrum, the light of God, is all the spectrum of God. It's all the character of God. You know, there was was a comedian who was talking about, uh, I can't even remember what the particular routine is, but he was talking about typos in the Bible, and you could get these Bibles cheaper, you know, like the gospel according to you know, the Gospel of Gob or, uh, you know, Adam and Steve instead of Adam and Eve because they had these typos in it. Well, that's what modern Christianity has become and they have left out characteristics of God characteristics of God expressed we were made to be made in the image of God but when we fell we lost some of the characteristics of God we they they were no longer accessible to us we were cast out of the garden we could no longer eat of the tree of life which was in the garden we were now cast out of that but we were really cast out about out of that because there was an angel there with a light these These are metaphors i'm using it in the metaphor sense and not trying to you know preach angels and all this stuff, but uh not that there aren't necessarily angels. I just don't want to use that term too much because it conjures up images in your mind that may not be accurate. I'm just using words here. The idea was he had this fiery saber, this (laughs) lightsaber, that shined in every direction, like a beacon shines in every direction, and we were driven out of the garden by the light of that beacon. Why? Because it showed us what we had become. From the moment of our sin, we hid from the truth of our sin, which was the second sin. We did not admit our sin. We hid from it. We hid from God. We are now hiding from the light of God, the tree of life, the Holy Spirit. We are hiding from the Holy Spirit. You know, I was contacted by somebody who was talking about having trouble with, oh well, we'll put it in these terms. Don't get carried away with the terms, but demons. Uh, spiritual influence. Again, we use those words spiritual in the sense of patterns, patterns of evil, patterns of God, spirit of God. The spirit of God is the pattern of God. We are to be made in that pattern. If we are made in a pattern that is not including all the characteristics of God, then we are made in a spirit, a pattern that is less than what we should be. That's the state of sin. We have fallen from the wholeness of who we should be, and we are less than what we should be, and other entities of the world and of other realms, if there are other realms, and of course in quantum physics they say there are other realms, those entities that dwell in those other realms feel simpatico with us. Because they're missing those characteristics of the Spirit of God as well. Maybe they're courageous. Maybe they're smart. Maybe they're um, industrious. But maybe they're not forgiving. So they're missing some characteristic of God. If they're not forgiving, they're probably missing mercy. And the God of mercy is not in them. Because the pattern of mercy is not in them. And so the pattern of forgiveness is not in them. And if the pattern of forgiveness is not in you, you are simpatico with the spirit of that which is not full of mercy. And what we see often, and I bring this up because this is what comes to me in my heart, and you know everybody will think that I'm talking about them who have these characteristics and I am i guess but I'm actually thinking of somebody who's probably not listening to this broadcast and probably never will <laughs> but it's somebody in that, that has crossed my path in life I've sat down in their house I've sat down in and I and this is very common so it will reach out and touch a lot of people where you know somebody who has no children or uh has no you know children at home, even, and they have pets, you know, a dog or a couple of cats, and they just do everything for those dogs and cats. If I were to come back as another creature and transmigration of souls, which they believe in India, you know that you can come back as an animal that actually, I don't believe that you can, but uh they do. If I was to come back as an animal, I'd want to come back as one of theirs. (laughs) Because they treat their animals so well. Actually, I wouldn't. Because, uh, they, they over-pamper their animals. And they actually give, they feed them things that are really bad for them. And they feed them too much. Dogs should not be fed too regularly because in the nature of a dog, it should go hungry from time to time. Even I, even you, should do fasting from time to time. It's good for your body. It turns things on in your body that don't get turned on if you eat every single day, every single meal. So intermittent fasting can actually have health benefits. It does for animals as well. But I'm getting off the path here. The point is is they cater to those animals. They, they forgive those animals, they throw up on the floor, they, they, they fight, they, they do all kinds of things. They forgive those animals all the time. Then they just fall all over themselves to help those animals. But their neighbor, if they do something wrong, or even if they think they do something wrong, oh, do you never hear the end of it, da 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 da, so and so did this. And they won't forgive their neighbor, but they'll forgive the dog and the cat. <laughs> they have transferred what they should be doing for their brothers to animals. Because it's easier to forgive the animal than the person. Why? Because they're persons, they're people. They they find that difficult. Why? Well, now we're getting into the quantum level of the gospel. Why is it so difficult to forgive your neighbor, your brother, your son, your daughter, your brothers? Why is it so difficult to forgive them? But you can forgive these animals. Well, you can make excuses and say, well, the animal doesn't know better, but the person should. Don't you know better that you should forgive not only for their sake, but for your sake? When you do not forgive, you play God. When you play God, God cannot come into you. Because where God is to sit, you're sitting in the throne of God in your heart. Forgiveness is a gift for you. That's why Christ preached it. It's one of the benefits of the kingdom. That you may forgive. If you can't forgive, you're not letting Christ in your heart. You are blocking Christ. Now, I'm saying that, but can you understand that? Because if you can understand that and receive that, and the pain of that, with patience and love, then you can approach the tree of life. And begin to get the rest of the spectrum of God's presence in your heart. See, this is the thing. is Lots of people go out there and they think they're Christians. And they have some of the characteristics of Christ. You know, they're industrious. They serve uh, other creatures or other people occasionally. Uh, they uh, are forgiving in some things. But not in everything. Well, then you're not perfected in Christ. You don't have the full light of Christ in your life, in your heart, in your mind. You need that because that's the path you must follow to go all the way to the kingdom of God. When you go all the way to the kingdom of God and you have all the light of God in you, all the forgiveness, all the patience, all the industry, all the sacrifice... All these characteristics of God in your heart and in your mind. You're no longer sapatico with the evil of the world. The evil of the world will flee you just as Adam and Eve fled the cherub with the lightsaber in the garden. (laughs) They, They will flee you. They will not be able to act in your presence. They will go away. And you will become that candle on a lampstand that each of us must become. Now, the the thing that you need to remember is, yes, you have characteristics of Christ in your heart. You are a sort of Christian. A kind of Christian. Because you have some of those things in your heart and in your mind. But do not settle for less than the whole light of God. And so that's why we're going to Corinthians, is to bring you into awareness of the whole light of God, the whole gospel of God. Anything short of the whole gospel of God is the gospel of lies. You do not want to settle for the gospel of lies. So, we were in Corinthians 15, and we had headings like, I declare... And by grace, labor. He, by grace, labor. And we just talked about the word grace. It can also be the word benefits. So, how does that fit? Well, we'll go into that later. The, another chapter on resurrection. You see, the word Christ means anointed. You're supposed to be anointed with the same Spirit of God that was in Christ. But that spirit has a wholeness to it that if you have less than the wholeness of God, you know, you do this, 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 great, but then you do this, which is contrary to the grace of God, then you do not receive the wholeness of God. I don't know anybody who receives the wholeness of God. I would probably be very difficult for me to be in the presence of anybody who has the wholeness of God. Because, I do not have the wholeness of God yet, and I would sense that. God has to kind of, you know, like Moses had to put a cloth over his face (laughs) so that people did not see Moses. He was so filled with the light of God that he had to put this cloth over his face at times because it was too difficult for people. You know, when they when some people were at the foot of the mountain and they heard the voice of God, they were frightened. Some of them heard the voice of God, but it was only like thunder, rumbling. They couldn't make it out. And other people were just terrified, totally terrified. And they said, Moses, you go listen and come back and tell us. Well, that is a pattern that we see, because many of you who do not have the full grace of God yet, if you want to check out whether or not you have the full grace of God, go down to the lake and walk across it. If you can't walk across it, you still got more to learn. <laughs> okay, <laughs> There's a lot of other tests that we could do. But the evidence of the fact that you need more of the grace of God is the fact that you're still sinning. You're still afraid at times. Uh, evil still has an influence in your life. It controls your emotions, your anger, your resentment, your unforgiveness. These things bubble up in you. You're not walking perfectly. So, no surprise. Duh, we are all sinners. Now, what are we going to do about it? Well, we have to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We must strive. We must persevere. We must be steadfast. Why? Because that's what they're telling us in the instruction book. If you're not doing those things, then you may need to awake to righteousness and find out exactly what God expects of us, wants us to strive for, persevere to, be steadfast in, and of course, awake to righteousness was the next chapter or paragraph in that fifteenth chapter. Then there was a chapter, a part of the chapter that was ca- cannot inherit the kingdom. And it had a whole list of things. That we should not be doing or we cannot inherit the kingdom. And we see similar lists throughout the epistles and throughout the Bible. And so that's what we need to understand is what all those things are. Because if we have those things in us, that part of us cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so then the last part of that chapter was showing the secrets. Now, what I'm telling you, a lot of these things I'm telling you are secrets. They were not intended to be secrets for you, but they are secrets to you because there are so many false prophets, which was prophesied, out there trying to tell you that you're saved already just because you thought a thought. You were able to save yourself because you thought a thought or you said a phrase, which is not the message of Paul. Paul is talking about turning away from evil uh, that not inheriting the kingdom if you do any of these things that he goes through this big long list of and we see it like I said in other parts of the gospel and uh, in like I said we were in the side notes and since the last show I did put in some more links like to Romans 13 because because in verse 24 it talked about put down all rule and all authority and all power and they're talking about God doing this. When God is sitting in your heart, and you've gotten off the throne of the kingdom and allowed God to sit in your heart, which is a humbling experience when you you have to realize you're not in charge, you cannot save yourself with a thought or a phrase or any of those things, that salvation comes to you with the Holy Spirit, which lists this where it wills. You just have to make room for it. And most of what you have to do is let go of your own vanity, your own pride, your own selfishness. And when you let go of all those things, you'll find your quest for the kingdom of God much simpler because now you're willing to lay down your life daily, like Christ, and you can pick up a life more abundant in Christ. You will not be judging your neighbor. So now it's very easy to forgive your neighbor, to show mercy to your neighbor. To be kind to one another. It's very easy to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and be loyal in faith to God by being loyal in righteousness to the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because you become that body of Christ. Or a part of that body of Christ through your humility, through your uh, service instead of the vanity of the world. And so anyway, I talked about What does it mean? You know, what, what is that down all rule, all authority, all power? And that word, last word power is that word that we see in Romans 13. Let every man remain subject to the higher power. And that word power means the right to choose. We notice a lot of freedoms are slipping away from people in this country and uh, where I'm sitting at right now. I'm sitting in the America. Uh, but we see it also in Australia and China and and all over the world in Europe throughout the European countries that liberty, the right to choose, is diminishing, and the right not to choose is incre- or, or, or the right to choose by the powers, the rulers of the world, is increasing. I just talked to somebody last night about who'd gone to a meeting where it appears that certain government. Agencies in different states, in different countries, are trying to get control of the water. Water is very important. And, but the problem is, it's also representative of the Spirit. You want to gain back your liberty under God, you have to let the water of God flow through your heart and your mind. And to do that, that's what the Gospel is about. We'll be right back to Keys to the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, again, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, but we're, we're getting an overall perspective on the, where this 1 Corinthians 15 and some of the message that is contained in that about awakening to righteousness, etc., is contained in the whole gospel of God, which goes all the way back to there was darkness in the, And the earth was void and he breathed and brought into existence what we see as creation. You can go out and look at Mars. They're going all over Mars looking for signs of life. And they go to all these other planets through the different uh, mechanisms they have now for looking at planets around other solar systems. And they're having a real hard time finding any life anywhere. They thought they would find it everywhere. And they are not finding it anywhere else but here on this planet. Now, I don't know that it isn't somewhere else, but it's evidently a lot more rare than they thought. Then now we could go and look at, you know, the quantum levels, the, the other realms that are that scientists say are out there, the other dimensions. And they say that there can be living creatures in these dimensions. And they come to all these conclusions about it. Well, if we read the Bible, we know that there's other dimensions. <laughs> you know, I mean, the ladder going up and down to some other realm. And in my father's house, there are many mansions. There's all these references to these other realms of existence around us. And they evidently... That was well understood, or at least well referenced in the Bible. It wasn't necessarily well understood. And so now the quantum... And we have articles on that. You can go read those articles. But we're trying to put this Corinthians in this perspective of the entirety of the universe. And that's because you're sitting in that entirety of the universe, that entirety of creation. And you're struggling... To find meaning for your life in the midst of this gigantic creation, you look out in the stars. I guess there's a, there's a meteor showers that are coming up here at the end of this month, and uh, you may see these things streaking by in the sky and bright, and these shooting stars, which are just minute little particles. I guess there was a there was an asteroid that just passed the Earth, and it was pretty far away by our earthly standards, but not very far away by celestial standards. And it was the size of a skyscraper. If that had hit the earth, all life on earth would change. <laughs> so we're we're sitting out here in the midst of things and we're trying to find meaning in our little microcosm of a life in this gigantic universe. And the meaning is referenced by Paul in his epistles. That he writes to the saints. And we talked a little bit about who's the saints. And we'll talk more about that. Because in 2 Corinthians, he's writing to the saints also. (laughs) And the saints, not everybody. He's writing to the saints. And then hopefully the saints will take the message to the other people. The real message you need to get, you have access to right now. Without reading any of the gospel. ...without reading or listening to any of these recordings... ...you have access to that right now... ...except you're blocking the access. You're blocking it with your vanity... ...with your selfishness. Because, see, God's not selfish. Your selfishness and God's unselfishness don't mix... ...like oil and water. His unselfishness is the anointing you need. So you need to sit down together in an unselfish spirit, and allow the unselfish spirit of God to come into you and give you direction. That's not going to come into you from me. It's not going to come into you from what I write and what I say and what the Bible says. It's going to come into you directly. And then that's when the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the anointing of Jesus, the anointed, comes into you and we reference that as the entering of the comforter the holy spirit the holy spirit is called the comforter And again in second corinthians we'll get more into what all that is but in my side notes on first corinthians 15 i have a quote from galatians 5 18 starting with 18 but if ye be led of the spirit what spirit that holy spirit that If you be led of that Holy Spirit, you personally, led of that Holy Spirit, not not holy emotion, but that Holy Spirit, ye are not under the law. Why? Because the law is in you. (laughs) The law is a reference to the Spirit. Now, there's a number of words that can be translated law. Torah means law. Ten commandments, the commandments, that doesn't mean law. But it's expressing something about the law. If you find yourself bearing false witness, if you find yourself killing people, if you find yourself injuring people, which falls under killing, because if you've injured somebody, if you bruise somebody, you have killed cells in his body, and that's why you see a bruise coming up. So if you've injured them so that you can see a bruise coming up, then you have violated that commandment of not killing because you've killed some of the cells in his body. And of course you can bruise them emotionally and you may not see that bruise but if you're very discerning you will see evidence of that bruise. You know, you can come into the presence of somebody who's had trauma in their life and if you are walking in that spirit that they're talking about in Galatians 5 you can sense the trauma in their spirit you don't see any outside physical bruising, but you see they have a bruised spirit. I see this all the time. God spares me having to see it in everybody. Because if you, if I go to town where there's lots of people and I'm walking down the street, I'm bombarded with their drama. <laughs> I can feel their drama when you're there. And so God gives you a shield to kind of protect you of that. And of course, Christ had that shield when he was in the crowd walking amongst the crowd, but somebody penetrated that shield once. you know when that was? It was the lady who went up and touched the hem of his garment. she penetrated that shield and felt the energy of Christ the the anointing of Christ because that's what Christ means anointing the anointing of Jesus, the anointed <laughs> Coming out of Jesus the anointed and going into her. And Jesus felt it too. He he felt the virtue going out of him but he wasn't depleted. wasn't drained. Because he's tapping into an infinite source of life. Which all of you should be tapping into. That energy went out and healed her. Because she had penetrated his shield. And that was okay. Because she... Penetrated it with acceptance. But each of you should be able to receive that same power inside your own heart and mind if you would repent. The fact that he was part of her healing is what each of us should be to each of us. We should help, we should be taking the hands of one another and helping us deal with the incompleteness of our own soul and heart. That is best done if you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Which is why Christ commanded that his disciples, his ministers, his administrators, his diaconuses, would make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Back to Galatians 5. If we are led of that spirit, you're not under the law. Under what law? Now again, Paul was talking in Galatians about these laws of circumcision, these rules, these regulations that had come in by the Pharisees that were metaphors, shadows of what the real law is all about. And the real law is about loving God, the giver of life, loving to give life yourself. If you don't love to give life yourself, then you don't have the love of God in you. And secondly, you have to love your neighbor because that's who you're giving it to. You can't just give it to your pets. You know, your dogs, your cats, your, you know, your pet elephant or giraffe or whatever you got as a pet. Your parakeet, whatever. Some people have very small, you know, maybe they can only have a gerbil because they can only tolerate a gerbil that they keep in a cage all the time. (laughs) But if you're only giving life to that, you're missing it. You have to be giving life to others of your own species as well. If you're excluding your own species, you're missing something and that's what a lot of people do they transfer you know they i knew a co- young couple who had no children oh uh, i couldn't have children I'd, i i would never have children you know and my husband's happy with they had a couple of dogs i think two dogs uh i never ever saw the dogs but i knew the people but i never ever went and saw their dogs or anything uh, i talked to them on the phone not the dogs the people and uh they they treated their dogs like they were people like they they were the, they even called them their children amazing transference of course they ended up divorcing and and you know cheating on well they didn't both cheat but she cheated on him numerous times and finally they divided but they had never really consummated their marriage with children they avoided children but then with her next husband she went and had children right away so what was that all about? Well, that's another whole long story, but you, if, when you're walking in the spirit, you start seeing the energy, you know, where the dams are, where the obstacles are in their life. And you can see, you can actually see their future. If they don't change, you know where this is going. And, you know, you try to be a light, but you cannot tell them all the time, outright, where they're headed. That's casting pearls to swine, you want them to start to discover the spirit, so you turn up the light, and that's an interesting concept if you turn up the light in you you when you you don't you don't really have your finger on the dial God does, but you allow God to turn up the light because when you turn up the light in you so that others may see, you see more of yourself. It's a strain. I do this all the time when I write. And when I prepare for these things, that it's it's a strain. it's It's a burden because I have to face my own demons, my own shortcomings, my own failings in order to be able to turn that light up. And occasionally I have people come around that I know are not really wanting to receive the light and I allow the light to turn up and they are, they flee, they go away. I don't even have to say anything. I don't have to be rude or anything. And just turn up the light. Allow the light to be turned up. Cause I don't really have my finger on the knob. I can't, I can't control it. But, uh, anyway, so in this Galatians 5, we see now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. And these are live links on the page. You go to articles that explain what these things are. I also have some footnotes here that uh, you can go and look at. Idolatry. You, you'd be amazed at how many people are in, in, invested in idolatry. Witchcraft. What is witchcraft? You know, we were joking this morning about everybody wants to there was a certain individual who is related to someone who is an in-law now, and they were curious about whether the, all the kids, my grandkids, had been vaccinated and wanted to make sure they had gotten their uh, their shots, their flu shots. You know, and I see this every year. I know certain people, they always go get their flu shots. And they always, within days, usually, of getting their flu shot, often within days, They get the flu, and they thought, boy, I got my flu shot just in time. (laughs) They're getting the flu from the flu shot. They won't admit that. They won't see that. You pointed out, didn't you get the flu shortly after you got the flu shot last, yeah, but it was several days later. (laughs) That's called incubation, but they, they do this, and they don't get it they're infecting themselves every year now i'm not telling you not to get the flu shot or to get the flu shot i'm saying walk in the spirit but so anyway my joke this morning was is you go get a little shot glass and you fill it up with a little ginger tea and you know some you know little little uh, health spices maybe a little oils or something a drop of some sort of uh beneficial oil antiviral oil and and you give it to the kids and they drink it down. They, they love it cause it's very tasty and everything. And they see you make it specially for them. And then they, you can tell them, if anybody asks if you've had your flu shot, that's your flu shot. <laughs> the, the little tea in the shot glass. And then that kind of ends the conversation because they're, they it's like homeschoolers, homeschoolers. They go out in the public and, and people find out you're home school. Immediately, they start talking about academics. You know, do you, how much is this? And do you know how to do this? And they they begin to test them. If they go to public school, they just ask them about, you know, how's the team doing? <laughs> they assume that they know all these things. And yet, you know, I can put my, my 10-year-old up against most 15-year-olds. When it comes to history, <laughs> and uh, even math, and some of them are stronger in math and stronger in history. But anyway, so back to Galatians five. So the, these works of the flesh, and he's going down listing them, are not the works of the spirit. So if you're if you're committing adultery or fornication or witchcraft, which is Flu vaccinations would include witchcraft. There's other forms of witchcraft. But it's trying to change the physical environment to have a spiritual effect on your body. That's witchcraft. And the reality is, is that the, the woman had been going to doctors for years to get healing. She could not get it. She lost all of her money spending it trying to get healing from doctors. But she touched the hem of the garment of Christ and was instantly healed. Because she was doing the reverse of witchcraft. She was not trying to fix a a sign of spiritual failing in her body, a physical failing in her body, which is a reflection sometimes of spiritual lack somewhere. I'm not saying that all disease is a source of sin. Sometimes it could be a source of blessing because it's trying to lead you to that fullness of God, that full light spectrum of righteousness and anyway but the the witchcraft didn't save her but the spirit of god did but then it goes on and lists a bunch of others hatred variance emulation wrath uh strife sedition heresies what are all these things well there's live links uh on the page and and uh, you know like variance what what is variance what is that word there uh in the if we go back to the Greek, it actually can mean strife, debate, contention. Mm-hmm. It's translated variance one time, uh, but it has to do with this wrangling, you know, argument. And we've all met guys, no matter what you say, they want to argue. You know, and I, I've told the story many times of the guy I, I worked on a a corral fence with day after day and it was in the middle of the winter and it was really cold and it was really hard work but he's a really good worker and everything and he said something you know he took a particular position while we were you know crawling around in the dirt and the mud and the freezing I was in the mud it was all iced by then and he took this particular argument position and I listened to him and I looked up at him and I said you don't believe that you just want to argue <laughs> Because I knew the guy, I knew he didn't believe that. And I said, you just want to argue, because you're cold. <laughs> and he said, he looked, just paused for a moment, you know, and this blank look on his face, and then he said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so anyway, so we decided to take a break and have something to eat. Because we were both cold. But anyway, the, that's, there are certain people who just want to argue all the time, They, no matter what. They will take an opposing position because they want to argue. Not a good thing. You know, I can forgive them. I understand why you are that way, but you don't want to be sucked into that kind of arguing. But anyway, the interesting thing is, like I, I mentioned, the variance. That word that we see, translated variance, is normally translated strife. But Paul says another word a few sentences, you know, a few words later that is translated strife often as well. But it's a slightly different Greek word. And it has uh, erythia is, is the word. And it's translated strife like five times and contention once and contentious when coupled with other words. But it, it apparently in the New Testament it says... According distinction, a desire to put oneself forward, a partisan, a fractious uh, spirit which does not disdain low arts. What what does all that mean? Partisanship. Fractionousness. What it is, is they don't want just strife. They want to divide you. They want to create division. Both words can be translated strife, but one word means strife in the sense of division and the other one just means strife in the sense of being contentious and arguing and debating because maybe he's too cold. <laughs> that kind of warms him up. So when we look at these two words, that can both be strife. They're, Paul's trying to impart some additional information. Variance is just wrangling, but strife is trying to wrangle for the point of division. The fellow who was arguing with me at the corral, at the frozen corral, uh, was not trying to create division. He was just wanted to argue <laughs> because it's, you know, got his blood going and got him all worked up. His father was the same way. I used to work with his father years before and we, he would always love to argue, uh, especially when we built a house together uh, along with a big crew of people and, uh, and when we took lunch, he would sit there and he'd pull out these carrots and he would be snapping the carrots off when we would talk about these different political things that he'd love to argue about. It was all in good fun. We weren't trying to create division, but uh, it was uh, war or must, I guess, <laughs> at the time. But now, so you see this word emulation. What does that mean, emulation? Well, if you go to the actual word, it's zelos in the Greek, and it has to do, it's mostly translated zeal, but almost as much envying, uh, indignation, envy, it's, uh, as well as envying, and fervent mind, jealousy, and once it's translated emulation. But it has to do with the excitement of the mind, ardor, fervor, or spirit, where you get people Really worked up. They're talking about emotionalizing situations. And we see that a lot today with the modern millennials and leftists. You know where they they're triggered and they get all emotional and excited. You don't want that. Yeah, you, you, that's not good, and that that can lead to that word that we see strife that is dividing. If if we look, and of course then they have the word wrath there, and that's pretty obvious what wrath is. But they have another word there, sedition. Sedition is, is the Greek word for sedition is also translated division. So there's that idea of division again. Paul, these words are somewhat overlapping. And of course, heresy, which is the act of taking or capturing or storming a city. That's actually what the word heresy, uh, which is in, in the Greek it's heresis, uh, it's actually translated sect more than it is translated the word heresy, but it has to do with capturing or storming a city in the actual original Greek, but it has to do with choosing or choice or following. Christ was a heretic to the Sadducees, Pharisees, and Zealots, to most of them, because he was saying something that was, he was storming the city. Christ was storming the city. He said, I'm going to take the government away from you guys. And I'm going to give it to another group that's going to bear fruit. Hey, he, they, they felt threatened by Christ and so they should be. But that city that he gave us, that kingdom of God, that city on a hill that we're supposed to be, that, that lighted candle, that's not heresy. It is heresy to those that want to live in darkness, but it's not heresy to those who want to live in the light. So, Paul goes and, and gives us all these different, you know, explanations. Are words that are trying to describe something. He started out with adultery and idolatry, but he ended up with wrath and strife and division. You know, it's that envying, because they have this other word there, right there, envying. But then he goes to murderers, drunkenness, reveling, all these things. I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit... The kingdom of God. So we go back. Are you creating arguments? Dividing the people? How do you do that? Well, you don't keep Sabbath on the day that we keep Sabbath. You don't count the days we count. You don't have the feast on the day that we have determined. Through our private interpretation, you must have the feast. Uh You... You know, you don't go to the Lutheran church, the Methodist church, the Episcopalian church, the Jehovah Witness church. So we are divided from you. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God because you're not getting to the essentials of the law. Not the law of the Pharisees, the law of God. All the law of God hinges on two basic things. Love God, the giver of life, and Love thy neighbor as thyself. If you're coveting your neighbor's goods through the agency of governments that exercise authority one over the other, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. You, You are doing the absolute opposite of what God says. You don't love... How can you say you love your neighbor when you send men to your neighbor's house to force your neighbor and your neighbor's children and your neighbor's grandchildren to provide for you? You're not living by love. You're living by force. You cannot create the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the utopia of God through force. You can only do it through love. And so, we haven't got very far into 16, but hopefully in the next half of this show, the next hour, we will get heavily into 16. It's not a real long chapter. So, we'll get to it. But understanding. This inheriting of the kingdom of God is so important, and all the things that keep you from it is essential to the keys of the kingdom. We'll be right back. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're looking at uh, a couple of these other quotes in Galatians 5 that we see that are in reference to what we see listed that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But it doesn't just appear in Galatians and in chapter 15, but it also appears back in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. It's not the only place it appears either, uh, because you actually will find it in 1 Corinthians 5. And, you know, I, I actually haven't put a link in. I probably should put a link in there to Corinthians 5 so you can see where it is. But you see this other list. This is the same guy that says all you have to do is believe, but he's giving you these lists after lists after list of people that have no inheritance in the kingdom and that you should stay away from them and, and that they should not be a part of what you're doing because they have these characteristics that are showing you they're not walking according to the Spirit. Though they say they believe, with their actions they show that they do not believe because they are doing contrary to the will of the Father. And even Christ said the same thing, and we know Paul preached Christ first, that not those who say, that's what Christ said, Paul preached Christ first. See, people take Christ, uh, take Paul out of the context of Christ and they come up with these goofy, I may say, goofy ideologies. That divide the people, not only from each other, but from Christ Himself, from the anointing of Christ Himself, which is why they can no longer say, arise and walk. They can no longer cast out demons. They, they are haunted by evil, both in the, in the people of the world and in the, the spirit of the world. And they have no power against the spirit of the world because they are not really walking in the spirit of God. If they were walking in the spirit of God, there would be no problems with the powers of the world. So, you cannot be set free with the words of your mouth. Your heart and mind must be receiving the guidance of the Holy Spirit and writing upon your heart and mind, and then there's no more conflict. Uh, you don't have to fight the demons of the world. They don't want to go anywhere near you. They will stay away. That's how you cast, that's how you cast out demons. You turn out the light of love. You cast out demons with love. You don't cast out demons with, you know, out them spot. <laughs> you don't do it that way. We say, oh well, you know, you call upon the blood of Jesus. How do you call upon the blood of Jesus? How do you call upon the power of Jesus if you're not walking in the Spirit? And what is the evidence that you're not walking in the Spirit? Well, this is why he gives you these long lists of things that people are often not doing. (laughs) And he gives you also a list of things. But the fruits of the Spirit are love. Do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor long enough to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of all the social welfare of a community of people that want to live by the perfect law of liberty? How long can you stay in a congregation of tens, hundreds, and thousands without being distracted and going off into the world and forgetting about those people? You know, you're leaving your kids at a truck stop. <laughs> you're leaving your your neighbors at a truck. You're not faithful in the way of Christ because you don't really have the faith of Christ. You have the imagined faith of Christ. So anyway, he says, the Spirit shows that you love, that you have joy, and I have links there so you can understand what they mean by joy. Peace, long-suffering, that means you have to stay in that congregation of ten for longer than a year. (laughs) How about the rest of your life? And I mean, you can go to other ones when you move around, but the fact is you should be in one or the other. Because you're, they're all connected. This is the way the early church was. This is how they could be persecuted. And 14,000 families had to leave Rome overnight. The city of Rome overnight. They had a place to go. When when Jerusalem fell, the Christians walked out the gate. And were given free passage by Titus. And they came out singing. Because they had a place to go. Because they had faithfully sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as commanded by Christ. Modern church doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, if you're in some churches and they find out you're going over to another church to hear what they have to say, oh, you get into trouble. Oh, you should not go over there. You have to remain faithful to us. We want you to be faithful to Christ. But being faithful to Christ means remaining faithfully in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because you're the entire social welfare. You can't just take care of your pets. You can't just take care of your children. You can't just take care of those who love you. See, they, people people think that their dog loves them. You know, the, the old joke about, you know, if you think your wife loves you and you think your dog loves you, lock them both in the trunk, drive around for an hour, and then let them both out and see who loves you. <laughs> well, the dog's going to be happy to see you. Your wife is going to have a thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't want to settle for the love of a dog. You want to have the love of Christ in you. And if you have the love of Christ in you, you won't lock either one of them in the truck of your car and drive around. That's, I'm just telling you that humorous story, from the point of view, of the love of man for mankind is the, should be the love of God for mankind. This is the whole law depends on this single concept. So anyway, as I said in First Corinthians six, nine, they have another long list and they they talk again about neither fornicators, which also would include adulterers, or idolaters. Uh oh, and he mentions adulterers and nor effeminates, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. So now we're getting into the area of gay. Now, am I saying gay people can't be saved? I'm saying that there is a need of repentance. Now, we know in the Bible, I might as well say this here, because somebody's going to eventually search through all my quotes and try to say that somehow I'm against gay people. I am for righteousness. You know, people say, do you support Israel? What Israel are we talking about? You're talking about that UN created country over there that calls itself Israel? Look, I'm for righteousness. When the people in that country do righteousness, I'm for that. When they do unrighteousness, I'm against that. I don't support any corporation of the world as if it is righteous. I deal with each individual situation. Governments aren't righteous. Only people can be righteous. People can form governments, but it's only what they do that is righteous that is righteous. So my loyalty is to God, who is the creator of righteousness, which is the Spirit of God dwelling in people. The Spirit of God does not dwell in corporations. It doesn't dwell in buildings. It dwells in people. And it does that on an individual basis. So anyway, back to feminists, It says that certain people will be given over to these unnatural lusts, and I say it is unnatural lust that a man lays with another man as if it is a woman, and vice versa with women with women, etc. That is unnatural. That is not the purpose of those physical activities. The purpose of those physical activities basically is reproduction. And that is male and female. That's just the way it is. It's always been that way. It's a biological thing. It can also be an emotional thing. It can also be a sensual thing. It can also be a spiritual thing. It is unnatural for men with men. But it says that they'll be given over to that. They cannot come back from that of their own will. Something else has to change inside them for them to change from that manifestation. What has to change inside? Well, we're not going to go into that; it's off the track. But the reality is, is that people do change. Some people are 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 liberals, or what what they call them. Uh, you know, on the left, uh, socialist. They believe in socialism. They believe in communism. They they call it progressivism. And, you know, it's liberalism with a progressive socialist viewpoint. And then they change. They're no longer socialists. They say, oh, no, that's a mistake. Now, why were they socialists to begin with? Well, it might have been because of the compassionate pattern that socialism seems to manifest. Because there is a part of the pattern that, yeah, we're going to all take care of everybody and nobody's going to starve and we're going to share equally and all this stuff. Sounds good. But there's another part of the pattern of socialism that has to do with forcing people to contribute <laughs> to the welfare of everybody else. You take from those who produce and give to those sometimes who don't produce. Which encourages unproduction. You know, so what to, what this Candace Owens talks about How the existing socialist war on poverty incentivizes uh, black families to be divided. that They're creating that strife and division. So that the black fathers, if they don't marry the woman and become the fathers of the household, etc., and provider of the household, she's going to get more money from the government. So they incentivize breaking up the families of the blacks. And that's what's happened since the beginning of the War on Poverty. Black families went from a fairly low percentage of broken homes to an extremely high percentage of broken homes. At, at a phenomenal rate. And uh, because War on Poverty was a racist program. It was an attack on the independence of the black community. And it was meant to cause a breakdown of the black community to make them dependent upon the Democratic Party. That The guy who devised it, that's what he said he was going to do. And he did it. <laughs> but you probably won't hear that on CNN. But anyway, back to this list that we see in Corinthians 6. Uh Nor thieves, nor covetous. So, socialists who are coveting their neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority, called government, they fall under this category. Nor drunkards, drunk on what? Is it only alcohol or drugs or all kinds of things that are addictive? No, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. None of those people. But I wanted to talk to you about this word revilers. Because it only shows up in two places in the Bible. And it has to do with. Lodoros. And anyway like I said. It only shows up two places in the Bible. Both of them are in Corinthians. Both of them are so therefore are by Paul. And one place it's translated. Railers. And the other place. It's translated. Uh, revilers. And if you go back to. First Corinthians 5.11. You'll see railers. Or a drunkard or an extortioner uh, with such and one not no not to eat so they're saying don't eat with them don't share your table with them now they're not talking about your particular table because if you go back to the beginning of that verse 511 it says keep company this is you should not have communion with these people on that communion is your welfare It's not a wafer of bread on your tongue. It's rightly dividing the bread from house to house so that you get through hard times. You should not have in company with those railers who are also called revilers. And again, what does that word mean, railers or revilers? It has to do with, it's from the word lodos, which has to do with mischief, these mischief makers and there's a lot of mischief makers. But anyway, we won't go into that, or we won't get to 16. But anyway, I wanted to point out that if you you look at the list that is mentioned in Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5, over and over again, you're getting these lists from Paul of people that are not having any inheritance in the kingdom of God, and are not to be in company with you. You're not to be sitting at their table. Well, Everybody, most Christians sit at such a table. And it's the table of the world. And they're not supposed to be doing that. So anyway, let's get on to 1 Corinthians 16, or we won't get through that. It, Like I said, it's a fairly short chapter. And it starts off with the first paragraph, which I entitled, Collection uh, by the Saints. So what is this collection by the saints? It says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given... Order to the churches of Galatia. Now the word churches there means the called out of Galatia. Even so do ye upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. that Every one of you, the individual. That there be no gatherings when I come. So what's he talking about? This collection for the saints and the collection by the saints. Because you, you, you're taking, the individual is collecting stuff that they lay by on the first day of the week. That would be Sunday. They would lay this by for the saints. Because that's what it says for the saints, and now the saints are going to pick up this collection. So this is the collection by the saints, so that there's no gatherings when I come. What's that word gatherings? And that that's very important to understand that word gatherings. It's logia, which is actually from uh, in in a it's used in a commercial sense. A collection It's translated collection in uh, in Corinthians sixteen, but it's. uh Actually, means gathering, and that we see in 16.2, a collection of money gathered for the relief of the poor. So, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this collection for the poor that you set aside to be given to the saints, uh, ordered to the church that they receive it, so that when he comes, you don't waste time gathering when I come. Because it's already gathered. It's already accumulated. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. So, they're talking about, all these people are sitting down in this tens, hundreds, and thousands. And he's talking about the churches in Galatia are going to, which is a fairly poor community, Galatia was not a wealthy, uh, city-state, they're going to have a collection so that there is no gathering when he comes, so that when he comes he can take it along with whoever you send with you in these tens, hundreds, and thousands, the ministers of ministers of ministers will take that to Jerusalem. Because at that particular time there was a need in Jerusalem. There was, this need traveled about through the empire because there was these crop failures and these dirt and lamb which we see talked about right away in Acts. Paul is the FEMA of the Christian nation. And these other men from the church, these other called out men which he calls saints because their separateness, you can go see our live links and understand that the saints are separate. For a particular purpose. And there's a reason why they were separate. Because of the Roman law. Way back. and go back to Augustus. You can actually go back farther than that. That any religion. Religion was how you took care of the needy of society. So when you made an offering. A sacred offering. To the priests of a religion. They used that for the care of the poor. Or the needy of their society. And then this time. Because there were famines coming about. They would. They would receive these gifts, these, these sacrifices of the people through free will offerings. Rome had such sacrifices, but they were now forced offerings. They were taxation to, to provide the, the bread, uh, from house to house, which was the free bread of Rome. But it was free to those who received it supposedly, although it really wasn't. But it was collected by men who exercised authority. Christianity was a system that only exercised love, which we call charity. Same word, translated both ways. And that's why, and it gets into this verse 5, where it says, Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and even winter with you that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door of effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries." So anyway, that, that sentence could be dissected to find out what he mean by effectual, what was going on. Well, there were lots of adversaries. A lot of people didn't like it. But back to that law that was passed by Augustus, any sacred offering, any offering given to a priest that was to provide the welfare for any group of people was sacred and could not be taxed. It could pass through the Appian Way, it could pass through borders, and you could not tax that funds. It was exempt, excluded from taxation. This is very important that you organize according to the ways of Christ so that when there is a dearth in your land, Australia, America, Canada, uh, Sweden, whatever country you live in, that you have a religious group of men who do not exercise authority but exercise that love and compassion chosen from amongst you to be that separate body that can move funds from one area to the other to help you out when there are dearths in your area. And then what happens is there are some areas where there are shortages and there's other areas where there are plenty and you can move it around. Now, the governments of the world, they will be moving stuff around as well, but they have no right to what you have. But you don't want what you have For the faithful, those who are actually sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and becoming the social welfare of Christ instead of the Corbin of the world, and there's links over to the right that will show you what that was, so that you understand the Christian conflict. They don't have a right to that. And it, it is actually given spiritual protection, just like the Ark of the Covenant. Was theoretically given spiritual protection. Now there's a, there's a death involved in the, when somebody touched the Ark of the Covenant who weren't, wasn't supposed to touch it and they were struck dead. That wasn't just spiritual, that was an actual physical event that took place. But there is actually, that's a manifestation of an actual spiritual protection that can take place. Because those sacred offerings, when they are given truly according to the pattern or the character of the anointing of God, that's the anointing that we see in Christ, it actually takes on a spiritual protection in the quantum mechanics of the world, which will keep the evil, whether it's in physical people that we see or meet on the street, you know, or not. And I've given lots of examples in my own life where I've seen this take place where you're in a riot, where people are just attacking one person after another. But they they couldn't come near me. They They didn't touch me. It wasn't my power that was keeping them at bay. It's this other powerful spirit. You have to be in a position of total non-judgment, even of evil. Discernment is not judgment. And then you will be protected. This protection can actually come over physical places and physical things. And this is what Paul is talking about. Uh, but he's, he's setting a scene that is very obvious. It's a very mechanical thing. You guys take up a collection for Jerusalem. You have it already at your sides and with your surplus and then that's what we will do. We will share bread with those that don't have enough by those who have extra. It's, it's just what John the Baptist said, if you have two coats, you have a uh, and your neighbor has none, you share. Do the same in meats, and that's what they're doing. They're taking up a collection so that they can help out those people in Jerusalem. They did the same thing to help people in Galatia when they were having trouble. They did the same thing to help people in Corinth when they were having trouble, and eventually they did the same thing in Ephesus when they were having trouble and what it was an entirely voluntary system. The rest of the world was doing it by force. But Paul is saying no. So so he's telling us this in the verse under international charity because he's moving stuff around all over the world as it is needed and helping out those as the FEMA of Christianity, the faith, emergency, ministry, auxiliary of Christ. This is what we should be putting together now. But we can't do it if you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands for a couple of months and then you disappear. You have to remain faithful. As faithful to one another as you would want one another to be faithful to you. So the next paragraph, I call it the letter of credence. So he says, Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? Take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. As I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, another part of the brethren. I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. We have lots of people that are now becoming ministers of congregation. Well, not lots and lots, but uh, we have some they're fairly inexperienced at being ministers. They've been around for a while. They're starting to learn how this works, but it's what we have. And but the congregants are just as inexperienced because they we really do not take care of all of our widows and orphans through Faith Open Charity yet, but that's where we're seeking the kingdom. And we're beginning to sit down in this pattern. Now it's up to you to sit down in that same pattern. And pick men you trust. And as you let those men learn the process of being a part of the kingdom, they too can become addicted to the ministry of the saints, which we find in the next paragraph here. And we will discuss when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. You want ministers that become addicted to the ministry of the saints. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And so we're in this first Corinthians 16 and we're getting down towards the end and I last I just mentioned the addicted to the ministry of the saints. Now the ministry of the saints is not the same obligation of the congregation of the people because the saints are separate because that's what saints means, those that are separated out just like if you give a donation to a church, that is separated out from the monies of the world, the, the things of the world. It, it's, it's, it's separate. It's sacred. It's consecrated. And even the Romans, way back with Augustus Caesar, made a rule that that, those funds cannot be taxed. And now we're just in a new version of the Roman Empire. Uh, go read our article on Rome versus us. And the same rule applies for those churches that are truly separate. How does the church truly become separate? Well, you can't be eating at the same table with revilers. <laughs> you have to be eating at the table of the Lord. You cannot be eating the Corbin of the Pharisees that makes the word of God do not effect You have to be separating yourself out. And Christ makes that command to his ministers on what they must do to become separate. Now, they don't become separate to save themselves. They become separate like Christ with the Spirit of Christ to save others. And even though I say the saints are not the same as the congregation, the obligations are different, it is the same spirit in the congregant as it is supposed to be in the saint. It is just that they play a different role in the nation of God. They are better... They are worse. They are of the same spirit. So, what does this all mean? So, anyway, if we go down to verse thirteen in First uh, Corinthians sixteen, we say, "Watch ye, stand fast, fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong." So, those that are in the tens, hundreds, and thousands need to stay in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. If you move from New Hampshire or Vermont to Florida, join another congregation in Florida, but stay in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Sit down in that pattern commanded by Christ. For what purpose? For the purpose of Christ, which is the purpose of God, the pattern of God, of loving your neighbor as yourself. Not just those that love you, not just the dog that jumps out of the trunk and licks your face, but you love those who don't love you. You, and, and what happens is, again, that's how you cast out the demons, is with love. Because what love is, real love, is turning up the light of God. It's turning up all the spectrum of God. Just like you, you know, I, I'm actually making a little hand gesture, like turning something up. you give you an idea, I'm not turning a switch off, <laughs> electric switch with my hand. I'm actually turning a little knob, like you do with an old kerosene lamp. You turn that knob and a little bit of the wick comes up and it burns more of the oil, the anointing, and you get a brighter light. And so that's how you turn the light up. And of course, God's hand is on that knob and he will turn the light up as needed. And he will turn the light down as needed (laughs) so that you can converse with other people. You turn it up for everybody and everybody will be you know, shielding their eyes because most people can't take the light. They're afraid of the light because the light also is going to expose their shortcomings. You you cannot gather in the anointing of God without a humble heart, without a sacrificial heart, sacrificing mostly your own vanity. That's the first thing that's got to go is your vanity. All of your vanity is probably the last thing to go. But at least some of your vanity needs to go. So it says, let all your things be done with charity. Same word charity is also translated love. Paul says it is charity. When Christ says it, it's love. But it's that love of God that is the full spectrum of love. It's not just the love, you know, it's certainly not the love that my cat has for birds. Because my cat loves birds. But it kills It takes life away. We don't want that kind of love. We want the other kind of love. (laughs) Okay? So that's important to understand. Is that you're doing all things with that love that is giving life. Because it's the love of God. See, the love of God gives life. The love of my cat takes life away. I beseech you, he says in verse 15. Brethren. Who are the brethren? Those who are doing the will of the Father. Will of the Father is that you do not be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. That's the brethren. So as much as you're doing that, the closer you come to being a brethren. Ye know the house of Stephanos, he says. That is the first fruits of Achaia. And which is going to be mentioned again in 2 Corinthians. And that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints what does that mean addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints well the word addicted there is tasso uh, in the Greek it's tasso so you don't really have to learn Greek but I'm going to tell you what that word means it is most commonly translated appoint it is also translated ordain it is also translated set it is also translated determine it is also translated addicted <laughs> You got, it appears eight times in the Bible, although there are variations of Tasso, because it's used because the Greeks take multiple words and put them together. But we can look at those later, and actually, you can go find out more about that uh, yourselves. That's your homework. <laughs> but this word "appoint," uh, you know, uh, the live links will take you down to a definition. I mean, if you look at the definition, I have live links to a, a whole article on appoint and ordain. And order to appoint on one's own responsibility or authority to appoint mutually that is, agree upon. So, what he's talking about this is the parts of the means of this word is that they have agreed themselves to the ministry. Now, the word ministry, what word is that? That word ministry is a is, uh, diaconia which is where we get diaconus, which actually is a derivative. If you go back into the more ancient language, diaconus has to do with deacon. Uh, deacon has to do with tens. It's a minister of tens. But anyway, that word ministry, you know, 16 times it appears as ministry. Six times it appears as ministration. And that's why we talk about this daily ministration. The church had a daily ministration. That took care of all the social welfare needs of the people. Moses had a similar ministration among, with the Levites who were the firstborn, first fruits of a nation. And what was their job? To minister to the tabernacles of the congregation, the tents of the congregation, to each home, to rightly divide the bread from house to house. That was their welfare system through the Levites. It was also going to be a part of their Whole system of appeals courts as well because you want men of charity and love to be in charge of appeals courts. If you have injustice in your local community, you want to have a place that you can appeal to because your local community has gone, you know, a little like we see in the book To Kill a Mockingbird where the jury clearly convicted somebody of a crime he did not commit because of personal prejudice. So you want to be able to appeal that up to somewhere where you can get justice and and an innocent man is not uh brutalized. But that's another whole story. You can go look up cities of refuge and find out more about that in the Gospel. Uh at preparing you uh most of this stuff we're going to expand the website out so you can see it in a lot of other places as well. But we've really put together a lot of information for those of you who think you know the gospel. You may have another second guest coming and uh, we're going to help you with that second guess. But the saints, these separate people that are the first fruits of a daily ministration to the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity, contrary to the ways of the world at that time, because the whole world was going after this system of force and socialism and eventually leads to tyranny and despotism, which Polybius told them that this is where they would go. It would change the nature of the people. It would change the nature of the government. And you would all go under despots. In the next verse, which is 16, it says, that ye submit yourself unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. Submit yourself, like go under the authority of? Well, we'll see later where Paul says, no, not you as authority under us, because that would be us exercising authority over you. The word there, submit yourself, is actually, uh, it's translated uh, never really well, but it says put under. Be subject unto, uh, be subject to, submit oneself unto, submit oneself to, you know, it's it's got lots of different ways in which they translate it, but, uh, and it could mean to obey and be subject, but of course we, we have to read this in the context of Christ that said we're not to exercise authority one over the other. So what are you really submitting yourself to? You're ordering yourself. You're, you're putting yourself together. Uh, in this tens, hundreds, and thousands where you're saying, okay, I'm going to give to this minister and that minister will rightly divide the bread that I give him to the other ministers who need it more. He'll do it amongst our congregation but he will also do it to other congregations and that's how we cast our bread upon the waters. So if there's a great need in Galatia, if there's a great need in Corinth, if there's a great need in Sydney, Australia, we can move funds or aid to those areas through the tens, hundreds, and thousands, by men who have dedicated, addicted their life to the ways of Christ, which is to love one another. So they're going to want to help people out in a way that strengthens the poor, not weakens the poor, like we see in the Great Society and the War on Poverty. It has actually weakened the poor because it broke down the family. We're going to strengthen the family. That's our goal. Because we have supposedly the spirit of God in us, well, how do you even know how to pick men who have the spirit of God in them? If you don't have the spirit of God in you, if you have the spirit of God in you, you're not going to be in the long list of people that we're not to have anything to do with. You're not going to be full of division. You're not going to be full of wrath. You're not going to be full of debate. You're not. Go- you're going to be full of love. If you're full of love, then coming together with other people full of love is going to be easy. And if somebody comes into your congregation that is not full of love, he will either be changed or he will leave. You don't have to make him leave. You don't have to leave. You know, I see people, they say, I left that group because they were not good like I am good. (laughs) If you are the good, if the good is living in you, They should leave. The cockroaches will leave when you turn on the light. If you are full of the light, why do you have to leave? Let the cockroaches leave. The fact is you're all missing some of the light of God. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands long enough to find out who has the light of God in them. It's that simple. Be faithful in what Christ said. I command the disciples, to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And if they don't, there ain't going to be no loaves and fishes. There's not going to be any faith emergency ministry auxiliary. You're going to be left to the despots of the world who are the only ones you have to set your table because you would not set the table of your neighbor. And this is what Christ, this is why Christ commanded that the people organize themselves and submit themselves in this group, not of authority, but of love, of this ministry of the saints. And this is what you need to all be doing. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. That's what he says about these saints, Stephanus that when you had shortages they were there they were the fema you looked to for they have refreshed my spirit and yours therefore acknowledge ye them and that are such that's it acknowledge it's not going under an authority it's going under the way of Christ the churches of asia salute you aquila priscilla salute you much ...in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet you one another with a holy kiss. The salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be an anathema. Maranatha. The grace... Of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in the anointing of Jesus, the Christ Jesus. Amen. So this was the epistle. This was a letter of credence. That's a government letter written to uh, uh, Philippi uh, by Stephanos and Fortunatus and Archaicus and Timotheus, which were saints those who had separated themselves out to provide this public welfare, or private welfare, I should say, to the Christians who would not eat at the table of Caesar. If they owed Caesar anything, they paid Caesar, but they would not eat at the table of Caesar because he was one of those benefactors who exercised, you know, men who call themselves benefactors, but exercised authority one over the other and And we were told not to be that way, so they didn't eat at that table; they set the table of the Lord. Now, understanding the difference between the corbin of Christ and the corbin of the Pharisees is essential to understanding what's going on in Corinthians, first Corinthians, understanding the Christian conflict, pure religion, and what covetous practices were counted as that's desiring those benefits from the men who exercised authority. You don't want those benefits because they make merchandise of you. They curse children and uh, are also essential to all this, understanding this is essential to understanding what it is to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You need to be seeking that kingdom of God and the righteousness of God by providing for one another through faith. Through charity, through love, instead of force and fear and violence. Which is the way of the world. It's not the way of Christ. Most Christians take care of most of the needy of their society through the ways of the world. Through force, through fear, through compulsion, for sacrifices. That changes you. To begin the journey back towards the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of charity and love, That changes you. It anoints you. It allows you to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. It brings in those other characteristics, those other frequencies of light that begin to shine in you. You have no power over it. You won't even understand that that change is taking place. You may eventually notice the results of it. Certain things that used to plague you no longer plague you. Certain habits and addictions no longer are an addiction to you. And now you become a different person. Other people may notice it before you even notice it. They say, like, something's different. You know, you're acting different. What's wrong? You know, because it has got to be something wrong with you. It couldn't be something wrong with them. You know, that's the way we do it normally. (laughs) So, when you start getting closer to the light, people will notice that. When you start letting more of the light live in you, by laying down your life daily, not just for your pets or, or your choice loved ones, but for everybody, it changes you. It, it is God. You don't put on the full armor of God. God puts the full armor of God on you. It's God's armor. It's not your armor. You can't slip into it like the scribes and Pharisees slipped into their holy robes. That's just whited sepulchers. They're full of dead men's bones. You don't want to be full of dead men's bones. You want to be the the valley of bones that come together and receive the spirit of God, so that flesh can come upon them and they can stand upright in the world, but not of the world, but of the spirit of God. So this is this is what the, this epistle, First uh, Corinthians, was all about. Now he wrote actually, they believe he wrote four letters. But we have the first epistle and the second epistle. And we'll be going through the second epistle and programs to come. Uh, this afternoon, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. We may talk a little bit more about the demons and spirits and the quantum elements of the kingdom. But we'll just have to wait. I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to talk about until the show starts. <laughs> I, guess I don't over-prepare, hopefully. And I just speak in the moment. But this whole idea of Israel is a place where God prevails, so you want God prevailing in your heart and in your mind. When the tribe of Reuben, I mentioned this in the side panel, when the tribe of Reuben was starting to set up their own system separate from the rest of Israel, they came and showed up with their swords at their side and said, what are you doing, Reuben? <laughs> and they they admitted, no, we want to remain a part of the network of the altars of the tens, hundreds and thousands that take care of one another through faith, open charity. We want to be a part of that we're just because we're way over here on the other side of the river we're setting up a kind of a temple over here, but the doors are facing you guys we 're a part of your altars, a part of your daily ministration we're not separating ourselves out, and that's what you need to realize you cannot just do this on your own." You've got to sit down with others because you're not going to be challenging that selfish nature in yourself if you won't sit down and persevere in faith with one another. It's a challenge. It's so much easier to say, well, I just gotta go take care of my family, you know, my dad's sick, you know, and I gotta go do this. Jesus talks about this. I mean, the gospels talk about this where the guys had all these excuses why they can't come. Things got worse in the Roman Empire. And when things got worse, they needed to be in this tens, hundreds, and thousands. And they needed to be practicing what it takes to take care of one another. Because the temptations are going to come. That's, That's the nature of things. Evil is around us. Evil is all around us. You need to have the light of God glowing in you. In order to do that, you need to set down your selfishness. Your vanity. Stop thinking you saved yourself because you thought a thought. Because you think a certain way. Because you've said certain words. You cannot save yourself with such witchcraft. You can only be saved by getting off the throne of God and letting God take that throne in your heart and your mind. And really start doing what he says. It's not a big willful thing. It's a very still thing. And that's that's something we may talk about. And, and you can go to our page on Be Still. Go to Preparing You. Look up Be Still. And know. Because over and over again, we are told this from the Old Testament to the New Testament, to be still. To wait upon the Lord. To listen to what the Lord has to tell us. This is what the anointing is. It's not pouring oil on our head. It's the uh, Spirit of God Dwelling in us, coming into us, anointing our spirit. In order to do that, we have to set aside our will. Not my will, but thine. God's will. He who does the will of my Father. Over and over again, he's telling you. How do you know the will of the Father? By eating of the tree of knowledge? You don't know the will of the Father by eating of the tree of knowledge. You'll be counting days and moons if you're going to do that. You don't need to count days and moons if you're walking in the Spirit. You're not subject to these verbal explanations of the law that are a shadow of things. You have the law in you. You know when to come together because the Spirit's going to say, stop what you're doing and go. And you're going to be willing to do it. God tests you. I'll tell some stories maybe this afternoon of how how simple these tests are. He doesn't test you to, you know, like pass or fail. He tests you to show you, so that you can begin to walk in that spirit. And it's not by great things. God's going to do the great things. You just have to do the little things. The little things about caring about one another. So you know, if you want, and go read our uh, article on be still and know. It starts off with battling enemies in all dimensions. Because if you can't deal with the enemies in the dimension of the spirit, you will not be able to deal with the enemies in the dimensions of the flesh. Because you're, you're just one little tiny chunk of flesh. You're just one kind of body. You won't have the power to do this. You have to have the spirit of God dwelling in you to drive away the enemies of the world. You don't drive them away the spirit of God goeth out before you and drive them away but you have to make room in your heart for that spirit of God so anyway that's what we may talk about this afternoon I can't swear to it (laughs) I wouldn't swear to it but uh, you could join us this afternoon and, and find out more about that and more about the keys to the kingdom God bless see you on the network